Hey everyone and welcome to the Sunny Go One Piece podcast. On this episode, we're going to be diving into episodes 355 through 357, which will cover manga chapters 460 through 462. And as we ramp up to the final act of Thriller Bark, it's now time for the Straw Hats for a counterattack. So yeah, let's go into the synopsis. It's now the Straw Hats' turn to go back on the counteroffensive to take back everything that Moria had stolen from them, including Nami. But in order to do that, they're going to need to get through the gauntlet of Moria's crew, including his zombie armies, his three phantoms, and oars. Okay, so differences. There really aren't too many large differences, but um, the first one, I'm not even sure if this is even worth pointing out, but it is a very tiny difference I noticed in terms of the dialogue. When Hogback asks Moria to borrow the two zombies from Absalom, in the anime he says, since Absalom is currently preoccupied, and then goes on. In the manga, he actually says, since that idiot Absalom is currently preoccupied, and then launches into asking for the two Sanji and Zoro shadow zombies. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure why they softened the language in the anime. It seems a little unnecessary, but I did find it a little strange. But I actually kind of like the uh, the manga version more because it just seems to fit more correctly in terms of how Dr. Hogback is feeling about how Absalom is just going through with this like silly wedding while they're under siege from the Straw Hats. Um, the next difference is the bit with Usopp confidently laughing and boasting about how confident he is in his negative outlook, but then slowly creeping back towards the door is something they added in the anime. And the scene in the manga actually just ends as he exclaims that no one can beat him in his negative outlook. I actually like this addition in the anime because this scene is is hilarious, especially for how the camera you know works in in, in terms of like hiding that sort of fact and then revealing it later. Uh, I'll talk more a little bit uh, about that in the actual um, podcast. But the last difference is in episode 357, Toei wanted to make sure the episode ended on that sort of badass moment where Zoro declares that he's going to take Shusui. But in order to do this, they had to shuffle a couple things around in terms of the sequencing so that the, the timing works out. So all the scenes with like Luffy reaching Moria... Nami avoiding kissing Absalom and then Orr's doing his best Luffy imitation all actually happen after that Zoro moment in the manga. But in the anime, they were shifted to happen before so that they can fill that time. And then the episode could end on that epic Zoro quote. Most of these changes, they don't really do anything, but it's just a, it's more so for timing and just added jokes. Alrighty then, let's get into the episodes themselves. So to start this set of episodes off, we get an awesome scene once again showcasing how Luffy's sort of simple-mindedness yet genius combat instincts here are displayed as Zoro and the others are all fretting over how troublesome it's going to be to track down all their individual zombies and get their shadows back. But in reality, Luffy's sort of one-track mind goes straight for the source of the problem, which is Moria himself. And we get the trademark Luffy strategy of if we just beat the head guy, then all our problems go away. Paralleling the exact situation they ran into with the last Jibukai they faced off against in Crocodile. And just like in Arabasta, everyone was also fretting over how they're going to stop the civil war and trying to figure out all the politic, you know, politics and the political landmines of dealing with all that. But Luffy knew as long as he kicks Crocodile's ass, all their problems go away. And here we are again as 
yeah, it doesn't matter about all that stuff so far. We will find out later on that this is not quite the case. But all that other stuff, as long as they take down Moria, will kind of solve themselves anyways. But you got to hand it to Luffy for his simplistic and accurate assessment of the situation. Sometimes in life, you got to keep it simple and deal with the root of the issue instead of all the extraneous like things that are really just symptoms of the root problem. Luffy then tasks Sanji with going to rescue Nami, setting up his one-on-one with Absalom, no doubt. While I don't like how we got here, I do find it funny that Usopp and Chopper use this opportunity to fire Sanji up even more by telling him all the gross stuff that Absalom has done to Nami, with Zoro even commenting how they probably shouldn't fire him up anymore or else he might transform, which is funny especially in the anime because between the fire and Sanji's blonde hair spiking up the u- and the use of the Super Saiyan charge-up sound effect... Be it's clear it's a clear nod to Dragon Ball Z and the Super Saiyan transformation, which basically Sanji is doing right now. It's pretty funny. Frankie being moved by Brook's story definitely feels concerned for him. Similarly, Zoro wants to obviously test his medal against the legendary samurai Duma, setting up his one-on-one as well. And we already know that Chopper is destined to face off against Dr. Hogback, which leaves Perona without an opponent. Now, I already know who ends up facing off against her, but I will say it caught me off guard who it turns out to be because I had someone else in mind, but it turned out to be the completely different direction in terms of the way Oda went in the best way possible. Uh, And we'll get to that when we get to that moment. But yeah, Usopp then hands everyone some special Usopp salt balls, which he just whips up really quickly. And then the scene where seeing everyone take on their roles and, and and having them all so in sync with each other is really awesome to see. It sucks that Nami isn't here with them, but I love seeing the Straw Hats together psyching each other up. As Luffy and Sanji begin their rampage onto Thriller Bark now in a reversal, the zombies are terrified of them. While on the lower side, Zoro and Frankie work their way to Brook. And I love that Oda decided to pair these two together because they probably got the least amount of time together in Water 7 and Aeneas Lobby. So it's cool to see how Frankie and, and, you know, how he plays off of Zoro, who are two very different personalities, let's just say. However, not before too long, one of the biggest threats that they still have to deal with looms. And that is in the form of the ghost princess Perona, for which, as Robin rightfully states worriedly, that they have yet to figure out a counter for... And she's right, I honestly had no idea how they were going to fight her negative hollows. As they hit Luffy and Sanji, incapacitating them yet again, this time Sanji's depressed statement is pretty hilarious with, I hope my eyebrows curl up too much and I become an idiot. (laughs) It's like, what? It's so random. Which kind of indicates to me that there may be a small part of Sanji that's a little self-conscious about how curly his eyebrows are. I don't know if I'm reading too much into that one, but it's 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 definitely something worth thinking about. Thankfully, before things get too out of hand and they all get caught by Perona's negative ghosts, Oras comes crashing down, sending Usopp and Sanji careening down to where Zoro and Frankie are. And I love how the in the manga, most of the panels showing Oras doing something, Oda dedicates almost an entire page or more just to keep that sort of the absolute massive scale in the minds of the reader because in the manga, it, it is pretty striking whenever you see Oras actually doing something significant because Oda does do like a full two-page spread or like a page and a half spread. It's It looks really cool when you look at it in the manga. Obviously, in the anime, it looks great too, but because there's no real like scale to really look at how he prioritizes the paneling, you don't quite get the sense of that sort of 
uh, emphasis that you see in the manga. Obviously, in animation, they have other ways of sort of indicating scale. Like, they can do a lot more things with the camera in terms of ores and all of his sort of attacks and his actions. One thing I want to note, though, is while Luffy, Chopper, and Robin continue to press on ahead to reach Moria, Luffy now refers to Moria as Degarakyo or Giant Shallot, continuing the trend of Luffy nicknaming people by their most obvious physical qualities. And yeah, when you think about it, Moria does look like Giant Shallot or like a big ass leak.、Um, <laughs> and he obviously looks a little bit more bulbous at the, you know, in his. Lower torso region, but yeah, when you look at like a leak or like a big shallot and he has that sort of like that split head, it does really look like it. And yeah, I think Luffy is spot on with this one. However, just before they reach the freezer, they run into Dr. Hogback and Sindri. Before Luffy can barge through, Chopper asks to leave Hogback to him, and Luffy, obviously trusting in his Nakama, pushes on ahead while Robin stays behind to deal with Sindri. This is, one of th- this is the one on one fight that's been sort of set up for Chopper since the beginning of the arc. And this has been Chopper's fight to take down his disgraced hero. To Chopper, someone using their knowledge of medicine to hurt people is the worst of the worst and an affront to everything that Chopper stands for. And by extension, what his two adoptive parents, Kureha and Hiruku, taught him. Before they can get going, they're going to have to get past Sanji and Zoro's zombies, though. The dog penguin and the weird. Diaper samurai zombie. It'll be interesting to see how the two deal with the two zombies. While they're not, their bodies aren't nearly as strong or as trained up as Sanji's and Zoro's, their shadows are still fairly strong. So it'll be interesting to see how they deal with them. Back outside, though, the other four have to deal with ores, but again, Oda finds a way to introduce his trademark random humor while also informing us more about the characters. But he plays this scene so seriously as if Orr was, Orr's was getting ready to attack them with a huge piece of stone. But in reality, he wanted to serve this big rock to serve as his straw hat and walks off without even noticing them, proclaiming he's going to be the pirate king. <laughs> and I think my favorite part of, about this is how serious Usopp slumps down as, he's, as if he's about to say something profound about his fears, but instead he's like, let's just forget about your shadows. <laughs> Just wants to give up. But with the bridge destroyed, they're all wondering what to do now that they can't get across. But in literal seconds, Frankie builds this nice ass bridge complete with like side rails with carved flourishes on the handrails. And, to, and this shocks everyone, including us. But for the first time, we get to see another amazing skill set that Frankie possesses that he adds to the Straw Hat crew. He can literally build anything they need super fast. And this is just a fun setup to an amazing sequence slash gag later on in the arc. And Oda is just getting started with this. But again, I love how efficient Oda is here with this it sort of it, because it's a, a scene that accomplishes so much. Because right here, it obviously serves as a comedic joke. It also helps progress the story because it allows them to cross the bridge or the gap now. And it sort of informs and develops more about our, our main characters. And, and also, it sets up a couple more jokes later on in a few panels or in 20 seconds, but also for much further down the line as well. It's just incredible. And that's something that doesn't often get brought up enough. While One Piece may be seen as like this long winded story that takes forever with so many chapters and so many episodes, but Oda actually packs a lot into his panels. 
And it's quite amazing how he does this and not sort of be obvious or boring with it. And yeah, he's actually incredibly efficient with his storytelling, despite how long One Piece is. Now, on the flip side, I have heard criticisms about Oda's paneling in that there's too much going on. And yeah, to some extent, there that can be an issue, especially post-time skip. That becomes a bit more of an issue later on in the story. But I, I don't really see that as too big of an issue here. But in any case, Frankie is really starting to cement his place among the crew, and I love it. Unfortunately, before they can make it too far, they stumble into the worst place possible, and it's Perona's room. But seriously, this is another one of this arc's best moments that's coming up. They all have no choice but to run, as even Zoro is at a loss as to how to fight her and her ghosts. But it's too late. All four of them get blasted with the negative hollows, and they're all down for the count. Or so we think. And then, bam! We get another step on Usopp's ascent to epic status. Following up from his awesome showing in Water 7 and Eniasabi, Usopp comes to the rescue. Perona thinks he faked being hit. And to many people who were readers or viewers of this, it is a plausible thing that Usopp might have done to avoid the attack. But what Oda actually decides to do is seriously a thousand times more amazing. I kid you not, I was all giddy when I started to realize what was happening. But even after being struck a second time, for sure this time, Usopp doesn't go down. And oh my god, this part was so fun reading for the first time as Usopp loudly and proudly announces to Perona, I didn't counter it or anything. I've always been negative. <laughs> and like, this is such a perfect twist because you as a viewer or reader immediately know Usopp so well at this point because of how well Oda has written him that you can't help but be completely bought into this explanation and agree with it wholeheartedly. Not only that, it's hilarious as well. This on top of the crazy reaction from Perona as Oda utilizes another one of the sort of ugly NL shocked faces on Perona this time. It's just so perfect. Also, you kind of also feel bad for Usopp just as Perona kind of feels sympathy for Usopp as well. And she feels sorry for him and his existence. And the way she softly and kindly says, Gambare, or hang in there, is just so absurd and hilarious. Before too long, all the other zombies join in chanting, Hang in there, or Gambare. <laughs> it's so stupid. And I can't with this scene. It's so damn funny. Usopp just takes offense to this, and this sort of misplaced sympathy. But this now answers our question of who's going to take on Perona. It's our savior, Usopp. And, of course, if you're like the 1% of people that don't like Usopp at this point, this moment has got to change your mind. Like, this, if Enya's lobby wasn't enough to tip the scales in favor of Usopp, this has got to push you over. I don't know how you could not like Usopp at this point. And I love this whole joke as it goes on even one step further when Perona attacks Usopp with four ghosts at once, and it's played like he's finally been hit. But instead, the ghosts are now all doubled over from Usopp's overwhelming negativity. And I know this is mostly a joke, but even Perona is affected and starts apologizing to Kumashi. <laughs> it's, so, it's just so good. And Usopp does get caught up in the moment and just confidently tells the other three to go on without him. But he immediately regrets that when he forgot about how he has to deal with a horde of zombies too, in addition to Perona. Like, he can probably take Perona... But he definitely cannot take on the zombies, or at least he thinks he can. 
And the way he's so confident about his negativity, but also trying to run away is so in keeping with Usopp. And it's this true to character style of writing that Oda is one of the is one of the reasons why One Piece is so amazing. It rewards you so well. Although I do have to give credit to Toei as well and their writers with the addition of sort of that creeping away gag. It's pretty funny since it originally seems like the camera is pulling back to show more of Usopp in his sort of triumphantness as he's like laughing. <laughs> but in fact, Usopp is actually moving away and back from the camera while the camera is still stationary. So he's just literally creeping back to the door so he can run away. I don't know. This whole scene is just amazing. And definitely one of my favorite parts about this arc. Back in the freezer, Luffy comes face to face with Moria, who's just kind of casually lounging around waiting for Oris to settle down. He doesn't even seem worried or threatened by Luffy at all. He's pretty confident now that he's got Oris, who's going nuts on the island, causing all sorts of chaos, trying to get Thriller Bark ready to set sail so he can become the Pirate King. <laughs> However, in this scene, we do get to see just how terrifying fighting against a Luffy-infused Oars really is, as he has Luffy's fighting style and his insane speed, as he just obliterates the entire army of general zombies. But he's also kind of a wild card, as Oars doesn't quite seem to follow orders, which makes sense seeing as Luffy himself hates being controlled, and this sort of personification of freedom in Luffy's personality. Meanwhile, Absalom is holding his wedding and gets very close to marrying an unconscious Nami, but somehow can't land the ceremonial kiss because all of the shaking that Oris is causing. But honestly, it kind of looks like to me that Nami is almost instinctively dodging the kisses. But by the end of the episode, Sanji does arrive in the nick of time, setting up his one-on-one duel with Absalom. And on the other side of the mansion, Brooke is still struggling with Duma and on the verge of losing again, but he won't give up. It's funny though to think that Brooke still experiences fatigue, pain, and even sweats, even though he's just bones. But again, while many people will point to this as an example of a boring fight where the scene is just Duma and Brooke repeatedly stabbing each other. And yeah, I will admit this is animated pretty boringly, but you're missing the kind of the point of this scene. Like, like I've mentioned in the past, One Piece fights are not about just the fights it's what the fights actually represent and what and what these mean to the characters and how they prop them up that's what makes the fight so engaging here Ryuma using the name notch slash or the yahazugiri without understanding the weight behind it really upsets Brooke because to him it not only is empty but it disrespects his fallen nakama that gave that name to him to Brooke, this is everything. Like, he has nothing left in his future, as Frankie mentioned to him a little while back. But what he does have is the beautiful memory of his fallen crew and Laboon. And someone using that name without the understanding and the respect that it all deserves hurts Brooke more than anything because everything he treasures most in the world are his memories now, because that's all he has left. But what really hurts the most is the idea that if you can't win this fight, his life will have been a waste, and especially all that time in the Florian Triangle, the 50 years that he was stuck spent in there, will have been a waste. He suffered through the, that nightmarish hell for nothing. And when you look at it from that perspective, you really start to understand just what Brooke has been through and why all this is so important to him to fulfill that promise to Laboon to give his life some purpose. However, in this moment, you just feel so bad for Brooke. I don't, I don't think I could ever understand quite fully understand the horrific life that Brooke has survived and endured. Uh, and you, you, you've been sort of getting hints of it throughout the arc. And we won't actually see the full extent 
of what he's been through till much later when we get his full backstory. But just seeing him sort of suffering here at the thought that he might lose and lose his afro is pretty heartbreaking. But to sort of culminate their duel, they both walk towards each other to prove who the better swordsman is with the Hanata Sancho Yahazugiri. But unfortunately, Ryuma is just too strong and comes out victorious. However, just at the last second, Frankie and Zoro finally make it to Brook. And it's here we get to see the awesome face off we've been waiting for ever since we heard of Ryuma, the samurai. For Zoro to kick Ryuma's ass, we have been waiting all arc to see this. But one thing to remember is that Zoro actually only has two swords right now. He, ha- he lost Yubashiri at Enias Lobby to that rust guy. So it'll be interesting to see whether he beats Yuma without using any Santoryu moves or if he borrows like Brook's sword or something to do the Santoryu techniques. Also, you can bet that when he beats Yuma, Zoro is going to get that black sword that Yuma is using. It's so obvious that this is what that's been building towards. As by the end of episode 357, we learn from Yuma that it's one of the 21 Owazamono swords the Meito Shusui, which means it's of the same quality and strength as Kuina's sword, the Wado Ichimonji, Zoro's most prized sword. And the idea that Zoro, by the end of this arc, will have two Owazamono swords is just so freaking cool. Also, translation note, uh, in Japanese, Shusui means autumn water. I'm not sure what significance that holds, but it's a cool name. But also, the idea that Zoro will have a black sword like Mihawk kind of gets him one step closer to sort of rivaling Mihawk as the greatest swordsman in the world. I do also like that Frankie asks Brooke's permission first to not damage his pride, whether Zoro can fight on his behalf. And I liked it even more that Brooke has enough trust and faith in them to help him, setting up his already strong bonds with him becoming the next straw hat. And this is a very obvious observation, but one of the more beautiful aspects of Zoro and Frankie helping Brooke and him accepting that help is that up till now, Brooke has had no one in 50 years to, to depend on. But now he finally gets to experience what it's like to have a group of friends or even better, Nakama to actually support him, which is, I think, a very cool thing. And of course, this episode ends with an epically badass one-liner by Zoro. The, all right, I'll be using that sword from now on. It's like, oh my god, it's so freaking cool. And I love that during the To Be Continued card, Brooke is heard exclaiming, you're too cool. <laughs> and yeah, it, it is too cool. And I do, then that's one of the reasons they, they flexed that moment into the end of the episode and why they pushed everything else up ahead of it so that they could end this episode like this. And it works perfectly. So yeah, overall, while most of the time in these three episodes were all spent setting up for each of their respective duels, each one is set up so well that it just leaves you on the edge of your seat wanting to see the conclusions of each of them. And yeah, by now, Thriller Bark should have you hooked. That's one of the reasons why this arc is so fun. Like, I seriously don't quite understand the level of hate this arc gets sometimes. I got, I, I understand, yeah, the, the stuff with Sanji and Absalom are pretty bad. Uh, and Moria himself is not the greatest of sort of villains, but everything else, like the the setup, the comedy, like, and the fights are all really cool, I feel like. But yeah, I'll leave it at that, because we'll definitely talk more about all the rest of the arc, because it's going to start getting really good. 
And yeah, if you did enjoy this, send me a like or a comment. And if you want to join me on this journey of rewatching One Piece, please consider subscribing. Check out my Instagram and Twitter at SunnyGoPodcast if you want updates for new episodes and see my manga collection. Also, I've started to stream on Twitch. So if you want to come chat or watch me play games, I'd be happy to see you at twitch.tv slash sunny underscore underscore go. And as always, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast. No spoiler sections this week. But yeah, stay safe out there and hope to see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.